and welcome to episode 152 of The Winning Agenda. My name's Jesse Marshall, and joining me today, all the way from a couple of kilometres away, is Jess Horrig. Oh, wow. Um, are we going to need to translate that into imperial measurements? Yeah, about a mile. Yeah. Um, so, hey, everyone. I hope uh, you're doing well and you didn't miss us too much um, during our 15-month hiatus. Um, Jesse, do you want to talk about what um, we've been doing a little bit in that time? Sure thing. Um, so, as Jess mentioned, I think our last episode was December 2019. We just looked it up. And that was previewing the last new cards for Netrunner that were released before now. Uh, and we're very grateful to be here with a new set of spoilers for the new Netrunner set. So, you know, keeping up with the content, which is good. Um, keeping up with the new Netrunner content as it's released. Um, but since the last episode, what have I been up to? Uh, I've been recording a few Twilight Struggle videos on the TWA channel, um, playing a bit of Magic enjoying that and we spent a few months in lockdown which was a good time for producing gaming content because we weren't really doing anything else outside but since then I've uh, got engaged I've moved house and um, yeah just started a new job recently so everything's going pretty well what about you wow big moves yeah definitely um, we've sort of had a global pandemic depending on when you're listening to this we may still be in one or we may be um, in the tail end um, it's hard to say at this point. Definitely a lot of movement in the last 15 months as well. I suppose also maybe got a new house, um, depending on the specific time um, that we're comparing to. And um, yeah, did a bit of um, uprising as well. And now here for System Gateway and System Update. I think uh, SUSG is uh, what the cool kids may or may not be calling it um, and you know really excited to uh, get back into uh, the swing of things with the Netrunner. Um, we've had quite a few um, developments in you know the Netrunner scene um, even in the the last year which has been pretty quiet um, since Uprising was released. You know we had Intercontinentals tournament, um, we had I believe a regionals and a worlds. Um, so I played the intercontinentals. Um, it was a while ago now, so um, you know I can't remember too much about exactly how it went. But you know it was a fun tournament, and I think um, a lot of the fine folk at Nisei are doing a great job in you know keeping the tournament scene alive, despite the pretty large barrier that for most of the year we couldn't meet in real life, and even the worlds had to be online, which was the first online. World Worlds in the history of Netrunner. And so the Intercontinentals that you played, that was on Jinteki as well online? Yeah, so that one was on Jinteki um, around the middle of 2020. And what decks did you play? Uh, I did a uh, Leela, um, a sort of pretty generic um, criminal good stuff. And I did a Polana, uh, which was sort of, you know, a Nisei focused deck. So, you know, really going back to basics in terms of, you know, the strategies and what sort of cards to employ. I don't think we really did too much special, but, you know, shout out to uh, the, I believe, Super Friendos, uh, which were the team that I tested with for that tournament. Great. And since then, I know from last time we caught up uh, about a month ago that you have been doing some snake drafting. Oh, snake drafting. Yeah, I love snake drafting. So I think I did a couple um, in the last year or so, maybe two or three. I find it really interesting just to experience the game in a new way. And it's, you know, really different in terms of card evaluation and how the games play out. I think we talked about this in our last episode. So, you know, a, a pretty consistent theme is just, you know, how fun drafting is in general mm. um, and getting to sort of um, make the decisions about, you know, which cards you want as opposed to um, having the whole uh, pool of cards to access, I think can be liberating in a way, you know, you're, you're a bit restricted in, in one sense, but it also lets you try something different without necessarily worrying, you know, how, how your decks or your strategies will do against, you know, the top, um, top meta decks. Hmm. And perhaps lets you play, I mean, definitely lets you play a few cards that you might not play if you're having to optimize. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So, you know, a number of perspectives that make it um, really fun um, in that way. Cool. And what's your latest snake draft deck that you've been working on? My latest snake draft deck... Um, Is it Grim? 
was a couple of months ago now. Um, I'll have to check. I'm oh. going to be shocked if it isn't Krim. Okay, it was criminal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I had a four... Uh, I'm looking at it now. Yeah, I had a 419 deck. I, I was lucky enough to be first. I took a Bravado, um, which is a fun card, and it was, a, again, a very generic um, sort of, you know, two of each breaker, lots of economy, uh, rogue trading Citadel Sanctuary. Citadel Sanctuary was probably the MVP um, in my runner matches, just mm-hmm. because, you know, it gives you a lot of incidental value in a lot of situations. And, you know, economy is at a premium in Snake Draft. And probably the weakness was just, um, you know, having two of each breaker and no way to tutor is uh, uh, not a good strategy if your opponent is trying to install ice. <laughs> yeah. And um, Citadel Sanctuary probably wouldn't be too bad against some of the cards that we're going to be spoiling today. So we should probably segue into that now. So we're very lucky and excited to have a few spoilers, thanks to the fine folk at Nisei for keeping us in the loop. Obviously, um, we aren't the most uh, prolific content creators in terms of Netrunner anymore. Although, you know, I think still being able to say we've got 151 episodes behind us, hopefully that that's uh, enough to show that we are interested in the game um, and certainly um, very grateful to still be included. So thanks thanks to Nisei for thinking of us and getting in touch and giving us a few preview cards, which we're excited to talk about. Special shout out to Michael Papadopoulos um, or Man Verupti um, on uh, Slack, who was the uh, Nisei staff member who liaised with us to give, give us these cards and, you know, is the person to thank for this amazing episode. Cool. Um, so we're going to get started with our first spoiler straight away. Um, so if, it, if this was a video, then we'd be putting the card up right now, but we'll, we'll describe it for you instead because it's just a good old fashioned podcast. So it's an agenda. It's an NBN agenda. It's a three for two. So three uh, advancement requirement for two points, which is always a good start. Its subtype is ambush. It's called tomorrow's headline. And it reads, when this agenda is scored or stolen, give the runner one tag. And it's limit one per deck. And importantly, the flavor text is, we don't find news, we make it. So a very flavorful card overall. But also, yeah, great to see a three for two. Jess, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so I think, um, of course, it's it's sort of hard to build your deck around um, limit one per deck agendas and cards in general. And that, that sort of... That doesn't necessarily limit its power, but just limits its footprint on the, the game as a whole. So I think if we were to um, look at this sort of in a vacuum, it's clearly very powerful um, in the sense that it sort of combines um, a number of uh, very strong cards that we've seen before. It's reminiscent of breaking news um, in the sense that you can score it and give them a tag. Um, it too has, good to be true. Yeah, it has some shades of too good to be true as well, um, which is sort of a, another card that um, gives the runner a tag when they steal it. Um, and I think cards like this, while it may be tough to sort of have them in your hand when you want them, it's can set up a very strong um, board state if you are able to protect this in a server. And the fact that it's a three for two by itself means that you don't even necessarily need to build around it so much. Um, you can just use it with an, a, another old favorite, San San City Grid or calibration testing or anything like that, um, just as a fast advance um, tool that could even slow the runner down just from giving them a tag, even if it is at the end of your turn. You know, we've seen from hard-hitting news that you don't even necessarily need to um, give the runner a tag during your turn for that to be a very strong ability um, when you're progressing your game plan in a different way. Or rather, you don't need to have clicks left necessarily after giving them the tag. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So you don't, you know, you can use this um, in the middle of a turn. Of course, that's, you know, a a key use of it with something like closed accounts or um, any other sort of tag punishment card. Yeah, so so things that are good when the when the runner has one tag, of course, you can use this with that, but just even giving them a tag at the end of your turn um, after your clicks have run out can be really strong if 
you're threatening, you have a sense on there, you're threatening to score more points with the project bill um, or, or potentially even, um, you know, a, a three for one or um, another fast advance tool. Um, and you can make the runner scared of the tag threat while also um, trying to uh, get to seven points. And, you know, I think as, as we talk about a lot on the podcast, having multiple routes to victory and having your cards do multiple things um, is a really strong um, facet of any card that you want to include in your deck. And this does uh, sort of three key things. It um, gives the runner a roadblock when they steal it. It makes them uh, think about their tempo in a different way and it might uh, disrupt the flow of their whole turn if they have to clear a tag um, mid in the middle of their turn. It can also give them a tag in the middle of your turn allowing you to of course um, use your key combos um, even with the the MBN identity um, that is in uh, system gateway system update which is NBN reality plus definitely a card that we'll be talking about a fair bit um, gives you just some incidental value you get to choose either to gain two credits or draw two cards a bit reminiscent of sports metal which is an HB identity that did a similar thing and really allows you to pile on the economic advantage for doing things that you want to do anyway in this case scoring your agendas um, getting closer to seven points while also powering your economy and making the runner have to think a bit differently about how to manage their next turn. Because if you're in NBN Reality Plus and you think about the play pattern of resing Sansan, installing this, advancing it twice, even if you go to zero credits, you'll get, you can get your two credits back with NBN Reality Plus and then be threatening to score another agenda next turn, another three for two off your Sansan that's now rezzed. Um, and your opponent's got a tag to deal with. So it gives you, particularly in, in combination with Reality Plus, it gives you the economic boost back for yourself, and it gives them, a t as you were saying, Jess, a tempo roadblock where they have another threat to deal with beyond the Sansan you've raised and the agenda you've just scored, which is a sufficient threat in itself. It's given them a tag as well that they have to spend two credits and a click probably to clear, which early on in the game can be a significant impediment to them making it into your server and having enough credits to trash your Sansan. So I think it's a great card. Too Good To Be True was always on the edge of playability because it's a three for one. So when you were talking about cards doing multiple things, it did do multiple things, but it didn't do any some of them well enough. I think the tag was good enough and the way that it gave the tag was good enough, but the points value for scoring it just wasn't. Because if you got to use that mode and score the agenda, it didn't put you far enough ahead and it didn't put you close enough to winning that it was actually a realistic threat. Whereas giving an extra point, as we know, we, we've spoken about this many times, like balancing agendas is really hard because the difference between one point and two points is so significant. So this being on that two point side of things pushes it really significantly over the edge in terms of power. Yeah, I think so. Definitely a, a real powerhouse to start off our spoilers and one that undoubtedly we'll see uh, many times uh, throughout the life of uh, System Gateway System Update. Yeah, and I think if we compare it, we've often said like a blank three for two is a great card. Um, a three for two with an incidental ability that's going to be useful in some game situations like Project Vitruvius is really good. Um, a, a three for two with a really minor ability, which uh, I guess Philotic Entanglement, which is a, another limit one per deck, you probably wouldn't call it a minor ability all the time. It has the potential which is to be very good, but it also has the potential to do very little. Um, whereas this, I think, gives you something that's reliable, consistent, um, always has the same impact, um, and is very synergistic with a lot of other cards in your faction. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, speaking about things being reliable and efficient, you'd think uh, we'd, talk, we'd be talking about HB, um, but it's no surprise that we like um, that faction so much, um, if those are our favorite, favorite adjectives. Um, but this gives MBN a splash of those um, in terms of the impact on your deck building and on your game. Yeah, so unfortunately only limit one per deck, as you said, but one that I'll certainly be including in any NBN decks that I make in the future, I think. So the next card that we've got, uh, Jess, is called Spin Doctor, and it's a unique asset, zero to res. Uh, it's a character, it's one influence, two to trash, and it says when you res this asset, draw two cards. It has an activated ability, remove this asset from the game, shuffle up to two cards from archives into R&D. Um, and because this is an activated ability that doesn't 
cost a click. It's something that you can do at any point that you can take um, non-res actions. So yeah, it's pretty pretty strong card. Um, it's it does kind of remind me of another card. Yeah, um, I would say so as well. Um, I would say that it invites clear comparisons to... Um, Armitage Code Busting? Yeah, I was thinking maybe Lily Lockwell, another card that we talked yeah. about in our Dark uh, Destiny Reclamation. Wampoa Reclamation. Um, a, a wide range of cards. Um, and when I say Armitage Code Busting, of course, I meant um, the, the court version. Uh, private Contracts? Private Contracts, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, but also, um, more realistically, probably Jackson Howard. Oh, yeah. A little bit. Oh, yeah. Yep. It's it's really nothing like private contracts, and it's a lot like Jackson Howard. Um, so when, when you res it, draw two cards, it's obviously different to being able to click to draw two cards. But it's also more efficient in some ways. Like, it, there, there would be times when you res Jackson, and you would click it twice on that turn, and that was obviously amazing to be able to completely flush out your hand be able to shuffle away the agendas you had and you've basically just reshaped and sculpted your hand. Like, Jackson was very powerful in that way. But there were also times when either you'd install the Jackson third click, they'd run on it, and you'd just use it to reshuffle, or you might use it once and then install a couple of things. So the fact that this doesn't cost you a click for the draw can sometimes be beneficial. Um, and I, the trash cost doesn't make a heap of difference because, yes, the three on Jackson was good when it was in a central, um, but two is still something, um, and there's no wizard around these days, so, you know, it's probably actually net better than it was then in terms of difficulty to trash from centrals. Yeah, I would say so. I think, um, the of course, Jackson um, defined the game for a long time, and, you know, now that we've sort of gotten used to the world without Jackson, it, it may seem strange to, you know, bring something else in that's so reminiscent um, but I think as you mentioned Jesse it has a few key differences I think the times where you know you use Jackson and drew a lot of cards of course can can be very powerful but um, you know being able to draw on the um, runner's turn being able to draw when when they run um, to um, fill out your hand um, it, you know if you if you need to reduce the agenda density um, and also being able to play this, res it immediately, and install two more cards, say if you're using a particularly asset-driven strategy, um, those type of decks always are limited on clicks to deploy their cards, and Jackson, of course, while good in that type of deck, um, you, you'd have to say that this card has a, a couple of key advantages um, in that type of strategy. I think it's also got some unbelievably powerful synergy with Anoetic Void, which is another card that's been spoiled. It's sort of the new Caprice Nisa, if you like. So it's a, I'll just go through it quickly for those, for those of you who haven't seen it. It's a Jinteki card for influence, uh, one to trash, zero to res, unique upgrade. It says whenever the runner makes a successful run on this server, you may pay two credits and trash two cards from HQ to end the run. Um, and crucially doesn't trash itself to end the run. Um, so I can certainly see situations where you'd have a Spin Doctor, which is this card we've just spoiled, sitting out on a remote on its own, uh, unresed. The runner's running your big um, remote that's got a couple of ice and an anoetic void in it, the upgrade, and an agenda. Uh, they get through, you trash your last two remaining cards from HQ, they think that they can get through once more, they run it, they get past the last ice, you raise your spin doctor, draw two cards, trash those two. It doesn't matter what they are because you've got the activated ability from spin doctor to be able to shuffle agendas back in. So you're not taking a huge risk by doing that. Um, you're not risking them getting points from archives and you're potentially forcing them to run through a whole server thinking they're gonna get in um, and drawing two extra cards to feed to your analytic void. So that's some pretty powerful synergy, I think. Yeah, definitely. And sort of talking about how it's good in asset decks and also good in decks that, you know, want to build one huge remote, um, you know, that sort of covers a, a lot of the variance in corp decks. So I think that speaks to the um, future ubiquity of this card, um, just in terms of being able to go in multiple different strategies um, and fuel multiple different types of corps. And I, I mean... We've always been pretty strong advocates for Jackson, not 
Jackson Howard and those type of effects, which Spin Doctor obviously replicates, not just because they're good and we like good cards, but because they make the game better on the whole, because they make games... They make decks more consistent. They make games less susceptible to agenda flood and less likely to be resolved by the corpse simply being unlucky and drawing a lot of agendas at the beginning of the game. Um, and I think in general, games where players are able to play their best game more often with their deck... That, that's a better game on the whole. And I think this makes Netrunner a better game, having cards like this available to the court player. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And, you know, yeah, we have talked a bit before about how both players um, get to perform their strategy then and you know the the game doesn't come down to agenda flood then that that is a good thing for the game and you know it's not like if you are agenda flooded this card will turn a um a losing situation into a winning one or anything it's still quite a um heavy tempo hit to have to shuffle in your agendas on turn one and turn two and spend your time doing that but it just means that it reduces the number of games where you don't get to meaningfully deploy your strategy in any way. I think that's really strong and I also think that having um, incidental recursion um, as well from archives into R&D mm. is something that's really important to have in Netrunner because um, you know, so many strategies revolve around key cards um, and so many strategies revolve around um, either destroying on the runner's side or returning um, on the corpse side uh, cards that are really important. And, and so having incidental ways to do that um, makes games, you know, longer and makes games um, more dependent on in, um, the the course of the strategies over the course of the game and less dependent on, you know, um, games where a, a corp loses one particular card early or they can't get their strategy going early. And so I think this card smooths out a lot of those elements in a very similar way to Jackson, um, while not being such a strong threat on the board that the runner necessarily has to deal with. Yeah. And that is an important thing to mention, that whilst this has those advantages and has that sort of explosive potential, it if the runner leaves it there, it's not consistently then giving the core benefit. I mean, it's it's still threatening to return the two most important cards to return at some point in the future. So obviously from the runner's perspective, the sooner you make the corp make that choice, the better, but it's not giving them the same ongoing efficiency as Jackson's click to draw two cards ability. Yeah, definitely. But I'm really interested to see um, how this card plays out and uh, I'm sure we'll see plenty of it in the future. Um, just one last quick thing on that, on this card is the difference between returning two and returning three cards. Um, so obviously Jackson shuffled three cards back in and this shuffles two back in. Uh, a lot of the time, I mean, we both played four years with Jackson and you'd probably remember that a lot of sometimes you shuffle three agendas back in but a lot of the time you're shuffling one agenda maybe two um, and then a, a utility card or an economy card or something else um, it, I think this will probably deliver you the same defensive benefit as what Jackson did in terms of mitigating agenda flood but um, sometimes you're going to be shuffling two agendas back in and not be shuffling back in that one utility card so it is a bit of a hit but um there will also be games where you're not agenda flooded, you're just kind of digging with this and putting some pieces back in and you want to keep your agendas. And in that case, it's still recycling you two useful cards. So it does have some offensive capability still, but I think probably will be a little more of a defensive card than Jackson. Yeah, definitely. I think so. Um, the, the fact that a lot of the time, um, yeah, as you mentioned, you'll, you'll be able to shuffle in things that aren't agendas and that won't be the case as much with Spin Doctor um, means that probably the um, agenda density of your deck, um, you know, won't get helped as much. And, you know, I think that makes games faster as well. And that um, means that this is probably better suited to decks that are trying to find agendas quickly um, as opposed to ones that are trying to drag the game out longer and incur that... Um, that advantage over time from using the Jackson ability. That's probably where the gulf between these two cards is the widest. Mm. Very good. I think, well, we've started off with two cards that I think are going to make it into most NBN decks. Um, I think it's going to be um, unlikely that people won't be playing uh, What's Our 3 for 2, tomorrow's headline, in most of their NBN decks. And I think most decks of all factions are probably going to be playing Spin Doctors. 
Um, the next card we've got is another very efficient card, I think, which probably not going to go in every NBN deck necessarily, although I, I could certainly see most um, putting at least a couple of copies in, and that's Predictive Planogram. So it's a zero-cost operation transaction. Um, it's one influence, and so, you know, building a better world. Here we go. Um, it says, resolve one of the following. If the runner is tagged, you may resolve both instead. Gain three credits and draw three cards. So we, the obvious comparison is to Anonymous Tip um, and Beanstalk Royalties um, being the two cards that cost zero credits on the corpse side um, and give you one of those two choices. But the fact that, I mean, any card that gives you the choice is obviously going to be better than the sum of its parts, um, the, the cards that only do the individual thing. Uh, but also the fact that this has a mode where it gives you both makes it, I think, significantly better than both of those cards, which were both playable in top tier decks at various times. Yeah, definitely, I would say so. Um, you know, Beanstalk Royalties and Anonymous Tip, we would probably consider to be a little below the curve nowadays. Um, yeah, for in, sure. In the sense that, you know, they were playable in the past, but I don't think it's unreasonable to look at something that's better than both of those. Um, I think that, as you've mentioned, what's most interesting here is the ability to choose between gaining three credits and drawing three cards. Um, even in decks that played Beanstalk or Anonymous Tip, there would be plenty of times where you would wish that, you know, your your Beanstalk royalties was an anonymous tip and vice versa, just simply due to how, you know, Netrunner games play out. And so having one card that lets you do either, I think that's probably the most interesting part of the card. Um, definitely, you know, there is a bonus for when the runner is tagged, but I think that most of the time, um, this card is going to have to be carried on the strength of the base effect, um, since, you know, we can't always rely on the runner being tagged when you want to play a card like this. You know, we've talked about um, Tomorrow's Headline or Public Trail, um, another NBN card that is reminiscent of Seasource, but I think if you are spending your time while the uh, your time and your clicks while the runner is tagged on your turn playing a predictive planogram and doing both it, it is strong but it's probably not um, the game-breaking play that it needs to be um, given how rare those clicks are when the runner is going to be tagged on your turn so I think maybe 90% of the time, even more, we're going to have to treat this card simply on its base effect and uh, see the tagging mode as really a, um, a a secondary part of the card. Yeah, one, I completely agree. And I think the um, fact that it is slightly better, or I actually think it's significantly better than Beanstalk or Anonymous Tip because you get that choice. And so it's got that additional redundancy makes it a card worthy of inclusion in most corp decks because um, gaining three credits or drawing three cards for a click and a card is a reasonable rate of return if you get to choose between them whichever is most efficient and most important for you at that point in the game i think that's a, a pretty fair trade uh, of resources um but there is also i think an added benefit to something like this in a lot of nbn decks um, and particularly, I don't know if controlling the message is legal. It's probably not. Um, I think it is actually. I remember someone talking on Slack um, that it was the last MBN non-core identity to remain legal. Um, so I think so. Okay. Well, pre presuming it is, I, I think there's obviously a strategy for runners to deal with either controlling the message decks or just decks running data ravens and things that are throwing out a lot of tags, but not necessarily... Um, having strong gear checks, um, you know, leaning more on tags as the threat to try and stop the runner running. Um, and one of the ways for runners to deal with those decks is either Econ Denial or just going tag me in combination with Econ Denial or with um, other ways to either attack HQ and make the corp trash cards or other things. Um, but if someone's going tag me and playing Econ Denial 
this is a very powerful way to respond to that because you are very efficiently able to get draw three cards which puts you closer to your tag punishment cards um, and gain three credits which helps you to pay for those tag punishment cards if they cost you credits um, which a lot of the kill cards tend to um, some of the so things like exchange of information or closed accounts are obviously quite cheap so the, the three credits may not be as useful there but you know if you are threatening to kill the runner which a lot of tag punishment decks will be um, your, those three credits could come in really handy if you're trying to construct and condense your clicks down into one turn where you're trying to punish the runner when they're denying your resources. Definitely. And I think especially with something like high-profile target, um, you know, of course it's five influence, but could even be in a Wayland deck, um, something like this, um, getting you three cards deeper and also giving you the credits to play your high pro profile target even from zero um, as you mentioned is a really strong way to respond um, to runner decks that are trying to go tag me to blunt the power of your um, tagging ice but also uh, surgically remove your tag punishment and so this gives you another incidental card that they have to deal with um, that is one of the the strong going to be one of the strongest cards in your deck um, in a situation where the runner is um, adopting a tag me strategy um, I think in that sense it's reminiscent of resistor um, which will also still be legal um, with this mm. card from data and destiny in the sense that um, you know most of the time you're going to play a resistor it's going to be roughly like a vanilla when the runner has no tags but it could be the best card in your deck if the the runner is planning to say um, install stargate and try and run um, through your ice or destroy your ice and just completely going tag me so I think there's a lot to be said for predictive planogram. Um, I'm just sort of thinking about play patterns as well in those sorts of NBN decks that might run a little bit poor, uh, might have to invest in traces every now and then, uh, and might have key turns where they need the resources urgently, um, and they're being crunched particularly by a runner that's playing any kind of resource denial. Um, comparing this to other top decks in those times, you know, if you're having your hand trashed and you're in top deck mode um, to try and respond to your opponent, drawing this compared to like a Sweeps Week, it's just so much better. Um, and Sweeps Week is already a really good card. And the fail case for this of being able to gain three credits is pretty close to Sweeps Week as well. I mean, Sweeps Week obviously has a far worse fail case, um, but its usual case would be gain net four. Um, this is gain net three, which is not far off that. Um, and you've got the option of drawing three cards instead, plus the better mode um, if they are going tag me or if you do manage to land a tag. So yeah, I think it's, it's certainly got a lot going for it. Yeah, definitely. Once again, a card that shines in a number of different scenarios and, and lets you progress your game plan in a number of different ways. Um, and the one influence, I think, is also both this and Spin Doctor being one influence means that they're probably going to be pretty ubiquitous, I think. Uh, I mean, other factions have decent operation economy um, and they're not necessarily going to be wanting to splash for this, but um, I can see Wayland NBN decks, whichever faction they're in, using each other's cards. Um, the fact that this is easily splashable into those Wayland decks that are focusing on tagging uh, means that I think it'll make its way into quite a few of them. Definitely. Really, um, really interesting card. I think my favourite card from, from our spoilers. Hmm. And the last one, um, Superconducting Hub, is a neutral agenda. Uh, so it's a three for one, three advancement requirement, one agenda point. It's an agenda expansion. When you score this agenda, you may draw two cards. You get plus two maximum hand size. What are your first impressions, Jess? Three for one's not always our favorites. Yeah, of course, um, you know, that... Um number distribution three advancement tokens for one point um isn't usually the way that we like to win our corp games um it just offers a lot of um resource investment for not a huge point return so i think that of course that does limit this card's playability um but i do think that especially in sort of sports metal decks um or Hearthbyroid Precision Design decks, um, which is the new HB identity that has a very powerful trigger when a uh, corp agenda is scored. So it lets you add one card from archives to HQ. 
and it also increases your base maximum hand size by one, it seems like this superconducting hub might be an HB card in disguise in that sense. Um, and so in terms of three for ones that we've enjoyed in the past, they've been cards that offer you a significant economic benefit or gameplay benefit when they're scored. So false lead is one that has seen some play because the ability to deprive the runner of clicks can just have such a significant impact on the game, whether you're trying to kill them or sneak through agendas. This one, it does give you an ongoing benefit, plus two maximum hand size. I mean, I'm trying to think of cards that that's been available on, what was a research station, whatever the upgrade that you could only install on the root of HQ was. Um, you know, that was like what, four to res or something, and that's a significant resource investment. So if you want to compare what you're getting effectively, I mean, for free in inverted commas, you're obviously paying for it, but on top of the point that you get for this agenda, that's not an insignificant benefit. Um, and being able to draw two cards as well, you know, as we saw on the um, card that we just spoiled, Predictive Planogram, um, that's kind of half a card, if you like, um, as a benefit to be getting from this at the time that it scored. So as far as three for ones go, you're getting two benefits that are okay, that synergize with each other, um, and that may also synergize with the other things you're doing. Um, if you're, as uh, Jess said, you know, if your identity is giving you a benefit when you score agendas, obviously three for one agendas become slightly more appealing. The downside of three for ones in general is that you need to play more agendas in your deck. Um, and that's, I think, the other than the resource um, to benefit ratio, that's the other big cost that you play as a corp, uh, that you pay as a corp for playing these cards. Um, and it's not quite on the level, I don't think, of a false lead where you're, if you're playing it in some kind of Argus deck or some other deck that's trying to kill the runner, you're, once you score it, you're actually really close to winning. And so it doesn't really matter how efficient the rest of your deck is or how agenda dense it is because you're actually just threatening to win the game there and then. Um, or something like House of Knives where it makes running a lot more dangerous. And so even though your deck is a, a little more agenda dense, if you're playing personal evolution, obviously you don't mind because the more agendas they hit, the more net damage they take. Uh, but if you're playing another Jinteki identity, your House of Knives is able to offer you a, a a reasonably powerful factor in the runner's mind to dissuade them from running. Uh, where a superconducting hub offers you instead kind of a resource efficiency. And the reason that I mentioned agenda density and the downside of playing three for ones in that regard is that it kind of offsets these benefits in a way. Like you're making your HQ slightly more diluted and slightly less agenda dense potentially, but you're already playing three for ones, which are making your deck more agenda dense. So it's just kind of maybe mitigating the downside of playing three for ones in the first place. So I guess the, the upshot of all of that is I'm not sure that it gets there. Um, I don't think it gives you a, a proactive enough reason to run it, which a lot of the other three for ones that I would play in my decks give you. Um, but that's not to say that the benefits are insignificant. It's just that I don't think they give you yeah, a positive, offensive, proactive, aggressive um, edge in the game. Yeah, I think the idea of that makes a lot of sense. That House and Knives and False Lead, um, you know, which are two other cards you mentioned, those cards do interact on a different angle um, in terms of uh, mitigating the drawback of having three for ones in your deck and mitigating the fact that having three for ones in your deck makes the runner's accesses better by interacting on a completely different axis. This doesn't as much. This is sort of still pricing you into scoring seven points faster than the runner is doing, as usually cards like this have worked with, you know, Biotic Labor, Cybernetics Court, Game Changer, um, any number of faster advanced combos, um, all, all of those sort of have the end goal of scoring seven points faster than the runner, which is a bit harder if you include three for ones in your deck. But I think with the success of identities like Sports Metal and potentially the new HV Precision design, um, which make three for ones a, a lot um, better and they mitigate some of that drawback. Um, definitely not all of that drawback, but I think in the sort of game changer shell that we already have, then a card like this that could potentially, you know, draw you two cards, gain you two credits, or return a card from archives to HQ, while also increasing your maximum hand size, um, depending on which identity you're playing it in, um, all of those benefits start to add up. And I think in that way, it's sort of comparable to Hyperloop Extension, mm. which is a 
um, a, a, an HB card that gives you credits. Um, of course, that gave you credits um, on a steel as well. Um, but I think in, in general, the, the two cards and the plus two maximum hand size, um, it's possible to um, make a deck that really wants the, those, um, those benefits. Yeah, I think the only other thing that I'd mention, because this does remind me a little of it, is Gillahan's Arcology, which was playable for a little while and, you know, was another three for one that was neutral, um, that gave you an economic benefit with the idea that being slightly more efficient over the remainder of the course of the game once you scored it might still help you win that race, as you were describing. And I think Gillahan's Arcology just obviously started to fall further and further behind the pace as that race became a lot tighter um, and it became a lot more of a cost not only to include the three fonts in your deck for the aforementioned reasons but also to score it off the board um, was not as easy um, and I think this probably suffers from the same fate realistically at the end of the day um, it, it could have some niche applications in identities where it's giving you the trigger um, the only other synergy that I wanted to mention is another system gateway synergy, which is the Anoetic Void that I mentioned, the Caprice Nisei replacement. Having a higher maximum hand size means you can keep more hands in, uh, more cards in hand for Anoetic Void, which is not irrelevant. If you're relying on that to try and score, having effectively an additional run that you can end is nothing to sneeze at, um, as well as giving you some of the cards that you need um, to fuel that. So yeah, there, there could certainly be some synergy there. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, you know, the fact that it's neutral, not tied to HB um, by any stretch of the imagination, especially with Jinteki, um, as you mentioned, the Anoetic Void, or the Personal Evolution, which is making a return in um, System Update, uh, along with House of Knives, um, as you mentioned earlier. Those cards could all combine together um, to to make this card strong. So I think if you're already playing three for ones, then this is of similar power level to some of them and might edge some of them out. Um, I think if you're going to be building your agenda suite, this isn't a um, a huge push to put three for ones in your deck when you wouldn't have already. Great. So that brings us to the end of our spoilers for System Gateway. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed our discussion of a few new cards which with the exception perhaps the superconducting hub i think the other three are going to be very ubiquitous and and see a lot of competitive play and as we mentioned superconducting hub our last card there the three for one agenda um certainly has some useful applications and does some cool new things which is nice to see jess did you have any thoughts about the other cards either the the system update cards that are returning um or the other cards that we haven't mentioned from system gateway any any that particularly jump out at you or some old favorites coming back yeah, of course, um, you know, it's hard to condense um, our thoughts about this whole new set, um, you know, into a couple of sentences. Um, but I think looking at the court cards, first of all, it, it seems clear that they've uh, tried to strike a balance between bringing back some old favorites um, like San San City Grid, um, Trick of Light, um, House of Knives, Ronin, um, Marilyn campaign, Eli, all, all of those cards, um, just, you know, looking through the spoiler have, um, been instrumental in, um, constructed decks throughout really the history of the game, as well as, you know, some, some Wayland cards like, um, Oaktown renovation and neutral cards like Enigma, uh, and subliminal messaging. You know, some of those have been there for the entire life of the game. Others have come back after a brief absence. So I think that's a really good way to shake up just the core of what Netrunner is meant to be about. And in terms of the runner cards, I think there's a number of similar patterns there, um, especially with the, um, multiple different identities the runners each have three different identities between system gateway and system update and i think that's a, a really good on-ramp especially for the new player experience of understanding you know what the different runners can do i think as a new player you know it's it's often a lot clearer what the different corps are meant to focus on just because they can often be a bit more linear but for the runners you know, it's a lot harder to sort of differentiate between them and work out what you should be doing. So I think 
the good signpost identities really do that, especially from a runner perspective in terms of saying, this is what you should focus your game plan on. Um, I think even from a competitive perspective, having cards like uh, Steve Cambridge, Ketzel and uh, Ayla back, um, all of those have, you know, really different um, focuses and even different focuses from the uh, main strategies um, in their respective factions. Um, so I think in terms of system update, those are probably the main things that stand out to me. And definitely from the spoilers that we've seen of system gateway so far, um, you know, we've seen some identities from uh, all seven factions. They're a mix of simpler economy identities as well as identities that push you in a bit of a different direction, um, especially in terms of the, the shaper one. Um, Tau Salonga, uh, that's probably my favorite so far, just in terms of the um, different effect that um, he has on the game. Yeah, absolutely. I think that ability of Tau Salonga, which is a 40-15 runner, so a, a smaller deck size, um, and whenever an agenda is scored or stolen, you may swap two installed pieces of ice. Doesn't say face down, doesn't say, it doesn't have any restrictions, so you know, if, if a corp is trying to um, build up a particularly powerful remote and has weaker ice on centrals and you're able to get through that weak ice on centrals, steal an agenda and then make their remote weaker, that's, that can be a really cool thing to be able to do. The, the thing about putting these abilities on identities is it's telegraphed from the start of the game so the corp can play around it. And I think that introduces just a really interesting dynamic to the game. And I love seeing that. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, in terms of the other newer cards, uh, I really like the, the identities across all of the factions, actually. Runner and Corp, I think they've added a nice mix of what I like to see, which is identities that just give you an economic boost every turn or, or just some benefit every turn or every time agendas are scored or stolen uh, with some more powerful kind of niche effects. So, yeah, I think with this new set included, I think the gameplay experience will be smoother. That's kind of my overall feeling of it. Um, cards like Spin Doctor, even cards like the Neutral Runner Resource Connection, the Smartware Distributor, which is a sort of drip econ piece that is zero influence and zero to install that you click to put three credits on. I think that's a really simple, elegant design, which mimics a lot of other things we've seen before, but is just slightly more efficient. Um, obviously, it's reminiscent of Katie Jones, it's a little slower in some ways, but also less click intensive in other ways. And I just think that's has the potential, you know, when you're designing a runner deck, your, your econ package and the speed of it is going to largely revolve around what your strategy is and how often you want to be making accesses and making runs. And what having cards like Smartware Distributor in the card pool does is it just means that decks that are a bit more mid-range and kind of making a few runs, but still trying to be pretty click efficient have economy available throughout the game, have more pieces that allow them to do that. And I think that's good for the health of a metagame to have things like that. And yeah, you know, Spin Doctor and, and the things that we've already discussed there will obviously help to smooth out corp gameplay as well. Um, in terms of the cards that are coming back um, or the cards that are staying around in, in system update, I, I think Kit is a card that is really interesting and didn't quite make it and, and was never quite good enough but you know having kit and gordian blade around always makes for an interesting option for people who are deck building and it'll be interesting to see with all the time that's passed since kit first came out whether there now are now enough tools out there to make kit a tier one deck but yeah seeing archive memories biotic labor corporate troubleshooter even you know another card that i've really liked including at one influence in a range of different decks just as a pinch hitter from time to time seeing if you can blow people out with a good piece of ice you know so cards like that are fun um and then you've got on the other side of it just some really efficient things like um eli as well as you mentioned lotus field some great agendas which is really the i think the mainstay of the game is having the corp have access to good enough agendas to make consistent strategies so vitruvius being there nisei mark ii being there Project Beal, Hostile Takeover, Oaktown, and Atlas, you know, are three of the most played and best agendas in Wayland. So having them at the core of the game makes it, I think, a really smooth and appealing experience for people deck building. Yeah, definitely. Really excited to see um, where the game goes. Um, you know, the, the first release um, since the, the last one um, in 2019, which was the Uprising, tw you know, 2019, start of 2020, 
So I'm really interested to see what people do with the system gateway system update um, and what directions they take the new cards in, um, both um, in terms of how they interact with um, the older cards and the older strategies, as well as the potential to create something um, new out of whole cloth. Um, another card I just noticed looking over the sheet is the pseudo stim hack overclock, which is really cool. It's a one cost event run. You place five on it, then run on any server. You spend the credits only during that run. So it's giving you kind of a, a sure gamble that only costs one, but you can only use it on a run or to look at it another way, a kind of half effective stim hack, but you don't take the brain damage. Like that's pretty cool. Or a reverse dirty laundry. Yeah. So lots of interesting designs, lots of fun. And again, you know, similar to what I was saying about Smartware Distributor, that's just something that operates in a probably a different type of runner deck that's running at a different tempo or maybe works together with Smartware Distributor as well to give you smooth economy. But either way, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I think one thing that I noticed just from the sort of neutral cards is having neutral cards that um, cover the core aspects of what you need in the game. So as you've mentioned, you have Smartware Distributor, which is a drip economy card. You have Jailbreak, which gives you card draw as well as um, multi-access. And you have Overclock, which gives you economy. So having those cards all at zero influence neutral in system gateway just uh, with each other, I think um, gives uh, runner deck builders especially a lot of options in terms of how you want your economy to be managed, as you mentioned. With the next big tournament that comes up, I look forward to seeing and hearing how that all plays out. Yeah, definitely. Really um, excited to see where things go from here. Awesome. Well, thanks for being with us today. Uh, I've been Jesse here with Jess for The Winning Agenda. Um, any other final parting words from you, Jess? Um, you can follow um, me on Twitter at Chaos Juggler. Um, you can follow Jesse at... Uh, well, probably just follow at Winning Agenda. I don't really tweet much, but if I do, it's usually from the Winning Agenda account. What do we usually plug? Oh, uh, Facebook, The Winning Agenda. Um, and if you are interested in checking out any other kind of Twilight Struggle videos or any other content that we put up, there's a fair bit on the Winning Agenda YouTube channel as well. Yeah, so, you know, you can follow us on YouTube, follow us on Facebook, um, anywhere um, you, that you want to get your Winning Agenda fix. Um, it's there, or you can email us at thewinningagenda at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing your feedback. Awesome. Well, thanks for listening and we'll see you not next week, but next time, whenever that is. Thanks all.